Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had somebody break a promise to you, or have you ever broken one yourself? Have you ever been in so much pain that you want the world to know about it? You want just a single soul in your family or your closest friend to understand how you're feeling? Have you ever had uh, expectation from somebody not be met and be completely disappointed by them? or broken apart when that expectation was not met? Have you ever been cheated on? Maybe in a relationship, maybe in a marriage. Have you been the person that's cheated on somebody else? There's a song that came out this year. Uh, I've admittedly been singing it and playing it a lot. And uh, some of you guys are going to be really embarrassed that I'm uh, listening to this song. Some of you girls will be like, why is Michael listening to this song? It's been a song I've been playing and like singing over and over. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll say some of the words. Maybe I'll sing a little bit of them for you. <laughs> Just listen. I want you to listen to the words specifically. I, I hope she makes you smile. The way she made you smile on the end, the end of a phone in the middle of a highway driving alone, oh baby, I, I hope you hear a song 
that makes you sing along and get you thinking about her. Then the last several miles turn into a blur, yeah. I hope you both feel the sparks by the end of the drive. I hope you know she's the one by the end of the night. I hope you never, ever felt more free. Tell your friends that she's so happy. I hope she comes along and wrecks every one of your plans. I hope she spend your last dime and put a rock on her hand. I hope she's wilder than your wildest dream. I hope she's everything you're ever gonna need. And then I hope she cheats like you did on me. And then I hope she cheats like you did on me. That's the song that I've been enjoying all year. <laughs> it's like so catchy. And, it, and, and you enjoy it, and why do we enjoy it? We enjoy it because you feel what she feels, and you feel like you want the person she's singing to to be cheated on. And you enjoy it, and I enjoy it. I'm admitting it to you. <laughs> I enjoy it. Whoever cheated on her, yeah, I want, I want that feeling for that person. That broken promise, that oath that was broken in their relationship... I want him to feel it. The pain of a broken relationship is probably the biggest promise that we feel. It just feels so raw at the time. If you can remember your first breakup at third grade. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I remember dating this girl named uh, Amanda Mexi. Uh, the kids called her Amanda Sexy. That was the nickname for her. And she only dated me because she had broken up with her boyfriend, and so she wanted to make her boyfriend jealous that she was now dating the nerd of the school. That was basically the reason why she was dating me. Actually, I didn't know at the time. You know, how do you know as an Asian-American kid? Like, a white girl's dating you. That's all you know is happening. So... That's the feeling when, you know, breakups happen, right? When promises are broken. Last week, Pastor Aaron introduced this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus begins to apply this radical life, this radical love, this radical perspective of life that he's calling us to that seems almost impossible. Actually, it is. It's nay, nearly impossible, and Pastor Aaron talked about his application in anger, in lust, and in divorce. In today's passage, we're going to focus on how we're going to apply Jesus' radical kingdom love in the way we approach our promises, in the way we approach our pain, or when someone hurts us on purpose, and how we ought to treat and love our enemies. So, How does Jesus want us to look at this kingdom life, his radical kingdom love, when it comes to our promises? Chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no 
anything more than this comes from evil. Comes from evil. Even those little pinky swears, Lord, when I was a kid, the pinky swears from my siblings, that comes from evil. You hear Jesus say these, these, three, um, these words several times throughout this passage. In this passage that we're in, he says it three times, and he actually says it three, he said it three times last week in the passage Aaron preached from. He says this phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. It was said, but I say to you. It's this common refrain Jesus likes to use through the Sermon on the Mount. Why is Jesus using this phrase? Jesus is saying to his audience, I know you've heard this. You've heard it this way. It's literally written down this way. It was written down for you. But I say to you, what is Jesus saying back? He's saying to you, you missed the whole point. You heard it this way. You heard this specific command, and you're following it literally. And you missed the whole point the real intention behind it. You miss God's own heart in this command. So, he wants to lay bare to us God's character in all of these commands. That's actually the point of all of these commands, is to lay bare God's heart, God's real intention behind every single command for us. Where is God's heart in this? Where is God's heart coming from. And at the same time, he's laying bare how evil and wicked and broken we are. Because when we hear a command, just like when you're a child, when you hear something, you take it so literal that you don't think about the heart or the reason why, the reason why your parents are giving you that command. You know, we, we, we find that the shortest cut the shortcut to every single command. We want to find the boundary in which we can obey it because we don't really care about the person or the heart behind that command. That's why Jesus is repeating this several times, this refrain. Here in verse 33, chapter 5, Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19.12 when he says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. So that was a literal command in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament written down for, uh, for the people of Israel. It's similarly said in Numbers 3.2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do it all according to the proceeds of his mouth. Or Deuteronomy 23.31, if you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Or Ecclesiastes 5.4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So these are the little commands. Why is, why is Jesus making a big deal about this? Like, it's written down. Why, why such a big deal about it? Why can't I, on my mother's grave, make a promise to somebody, Jesus? Why is it such a big deal? Because Jesus knows the human condition. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows my heart. And he knows we're going to break our promises. We're going to break them because the moment we make them, we break, we've broken them. 
the moment we make them, we've broken them because we've completely missed the intention or the heart behind the command, the promise. James, the brother of Jesus, reiterates this lesson in James 5.12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, if you, if you followed along in Matthew chapter 5, what Jesus just spoke about before promises and oaths is divorce. Right? So I thought to myself, this is such a, isn't this such a random thing to follow divorce with? I'm going to talk about anger, then lust, then divorce, then pro- oh, then promises, then oaths. Divorce is one of the greatest promises you're ever going to make in your entire life. And you actually make it before God in this amazing ceremony. Actually, Aaron and Jen is going to make that promise next weekend. Before God. Of marriage. Yeah. It's a promise. It's a vow. You're promising to God. And yet, what do we know? Whether you stay married or not, even inside your marriage, there are vows you're going to say on that, on that day. You're going to break Are you going to be there for your spouse every time they're weak and upset and sick? No. Are you going to be there for your child every time they want to play? No. Are you going to have complete fidelity in your thoughts and in your internet habits for your spouse? No. And in what you watch and what you listen to? No. The moment you make the promise, you break it. Sometimes that night, that next day. That's how broken we are. That's the state of our hearts before God. Think about all the other promises you break all the time. Think about them. Think about all the individuals that have broken promises towards you. Think about the individuals that work at institutions that we expect to keep their promises we have expectations for, that break them all the time. When you think about it, it's really hard. Promises are literally broken every single day in all different kinds of ways. By your coworkers, by your boss, by yourself at work. So Jesus doesn't want you to try to make your yes and your no any greater than it is. Just let it simply be yes or simply be no. He knows, and we know, there's only one person in the history of humanity that's ever kept their promises completely, and that's the living God. Since the beginning of time, since God's engagement with humanity, it's been an exchange of broken promises one way from humanity to God. All of the promises God has made towards us have always been kept, have never been broken. So we have a great track record, an amazing track record. Hence, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Next, we'll see what Jesus says about our posture towards people who intentionally hurt us. Chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard what it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. 
do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The first part of the first four uh, commands in the Sermon on the Mount, how we deal with anger, how we deal with the lust, how we deal with divorce, how we deal with promises, or oaths. Some of you have oaths inside there. Those, those all deal with how you ought to conduct yourself towards other people, right? And, 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 and what you break. It's your anger. It's your lust. It's your divorce, your desire to divorce. It's your promises. The next two, retaliation or pain and enemies, is what others do to you. That's what Jesus is going to focus on. And here, Jesus is referencing Exodus 24. Let me read it for you. It's a little, it's a little strange, because you're like, that's in the Bible? It's a little strange, but Exodus 24, verse 22. When men strive together, when they're fighting, and hit a pregnant woman so that her child comes out, but there's no harm, the one who hit her shall be surely fined, as the woman's husband shall impose a fine on him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm to the child, then you shall pay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So the command, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, comes from the command or the result of a fight between two men and a pregnant woman. It's very strange. It's like we get this thousands of years of eye for an eye belief from this strange incident here, this strange, particular, peculiar incident. Or Leviticus 24.20, it says, If anyone injures his neighbor as he, as he has done it, shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given, a person shall be given to him. So Deuteronomy had this verse, then they literally took the verse, and in Leviticus kind of applied it to everybody, all neighbors. And the pregnant wife was a specific incident, but we're going to apply this now to all neighbors. If you injure your neighbor in any way, not just their wife, but in any way, it shall be done to you, eye for an eye. But Jesus now says, it's so strange, because literally that's what's written to the people of Israel in the Hebrew Bible, but Jesus now says, don't retaliate at all. Do not retaliate at all. Do not resist the one who is evil, in verse 39 of chapter 5. And not only is Jesus saying, don't retaliate at all, he's not just saying, don't be passive. He actually is saying, be active in receiving the evil. Be active in receiving this abuse. Seriously? <laughs> is, is that what Jesus is saying? I don't even know. I don't. I, I don't even know how to remotely understand this passage, this command. I don't even know where to begin. Like I literally was writing this room. I was like, I don't know what to tell this room. Are you? You gotta have some caveats, right, Jesus? I mean, do not resist the one who is unfair to you, maybe, or do not resist the one 
who is annoying to you? Do not resist the one who is evil, who is evil. Retaliation is like a reflex to most of us, right? When you're waiting in line at the amusement park and someone tries to cut in front of you, oh, what do you say? We were waiting in line. What makes your kid special to get in the front of the line? Oh, oh, you got the Disney Pass. Sorry. Okay, sorry. You got the Disney Pass. Yeah, that's why you are special. <laughs> yeah. Or you're waiting at the airport in the regular line and you see all the amazing special privileged people that got pre-checked TSA pre-check, right? They just go through. You're like, well, made them so special. Or those first class, those annoying first class people that get on the plane first. Or when you're cut off on the road, what does everybody say to themselves inside? You say, WTF. They almost hit me, and you swerve. Maybe I'm the only one that says that inside. Can you believe that person? Or the person that's not standing six feet apart from you at the grocery store or walking the wrong way down the aisle, they can't follow the arrows that are clearly there. You get so upset. I'm being facetious. But Jesus has to have limitations, right? Right? When Jesus says, do not resist the one that is evil, he must have limitations, right? That's what we think. I, I think that's what we want to throw in there. Do not resist the one that is evil. And then, he, period. Like nothing else. He can't mean like coworkers, right? Coworkers that intentionally say terrible things about you to your mutual boss or go behind your back and play politics at work and get, and get the position that you want. He can't mean those people, right? He can't mean those people that are intentionally racist to you on the street or at school. He can't mean those people, right? He can't mean... He can't mean the people, you know that person that committed to protect and serve you in your neighborhood and they wear a badge, they're called the police and they do something intentionally evil against you. He can't mean them, right? He can't mean that politician that you voted for, that you believed in so much, that made all these promises to you in their election that you gave money to and doesn't follow through on their promises, he can't mean them, right? He can't mean that parent that has the terrible curfew on you when you're 21 years old, still treats you like a 12-year-old Asian kid. He can't mean that parent, right? He can't mean that parent that tells you he, they don't want you hanging out with that group of friends because they're a bad influence on you, and you do anyways, and you sneak out at night, and they ground you. You can't mean your parents, right? I mean, I've got a lot of excuses for do not resist the person that does evil against you. I've got a ton of them. I just don't know how to reconcile this verse with the realities of common life, our life. I just don't. Peter talks about how Jesus was this amazing example for us on the cross. And you think about Jesus on the cross in, in regards to retaliation, it fit every single excuse for him to retaliate. It was personal, 
It was institutional. It was racial. It was everything. It was spiritual. It was every single thing you could think of. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Or 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil for, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called, and I was called, that you may obtain a blessing. Here's Paul's admonition in Romans 12, 17. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of the Lord, in the sight of all. How do we practically live this out? How is this even remotely practical in our lives? When Everything around us is telling you, retaliate. Fight against the evil done to you. How do you even remotely follow this verse or this command? What is Jesus expecting of us here in the 21st? He must not have known all the things we were going to go through in 2020. He must not have known the pandemic and racial justice and police brutality and burning of and looting of businesses, and protests against injustice. He must have not have known about any of that stuff that must be irrelevant to Jesus. He must not even be aware. So maybe these commands aren't relevant to us today. How do we live this out? Does this mean we shouldn't fight against injustice? Of course not. Does this mean... We shouldn't protect people that are vulnerable when we see them attacked? Of course not. But there are probably so many excuses, I'm admitting to you, I make so many excuses, that fit into retaliation, that completely disobey this calling to see the things Jesus sees, to see it the way Jesus sees it, in order to live it out. I make so many excuses that basically this command is irrelevant in my life because retaliation is like a reflex. It's like water. It's like drinking water to me. Again, if there was somebody who was justified to retaliate, it was Jesus. Unfairly put on the cross for political reasons, unfairly put on the cross by an institution, unfairly put on the cross for religious reasons, unfairly put on the cross by his own people, unfairly put on the cross by his oppressors. Our Jesus didn't retaliate. And lastly, love your enemies. Verse 43, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Now, Jesus is referring to here to Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your sons, the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, I think this is a harder passage for us to understand because if I were to ask most of you, could you name an actual enemy in your life? Most of you probably couldn't like, name an actual name of a person that was your literal enemy. Like, this person, I know the person's name, they're my enemy, and, uh, and I don't have good feelings about them, right? Most of you probably don't have that in your life, or you have a hard time thinking of that. But most of you probably have a theoretical enemy, like, you know, Russia, you know? <laughs> Bru- uh, like, dial-up internet, like, that's your enemy, like, you know? Or, I don't know, TikTok. Like, so you have something made up, in, like, a theoretical enemy. enemy. So, I know this is probably hard for you to do, but so I want to like lower the bar a little bit because maybe you don't have an enemy. Surely if Jesus is asking us to treat enemies like this, he's probably asking us to treat people who are annoying in our life like this. Surely if we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, then people who are remotely annoying or that we disagree with, we're supposed to love and pray for too. Like, surely. Okay, so I want to lower the bar for you. So now, now I know you can think of those people. Okay? I know you can think of those people. Maybe that's a sibling that's super annoying kids in the room. It's one of your siblings that's just annoying you this week. And uh, you, you know... I want to believe you prayed for them. You probably, probably didn't pray for them. God's asking you to pray for them. Or maybe it's that family member that avidly loves and supports Donald Trump. That so you're just, you just like don't want to bring it up. You're like, oh, I got to go have dinner at the family's house and I don't want politics to come up because Donald Trump comes up every time. And you got to love them. Not only that, you got to pray for them. Or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe it's the protesters that you drive by at Battery Park every day and you don't understand why they're camping in Battery Park and why they're protesting. Maybe they're the ones you're annoyed with. Maybe they're your enemies. Are you praying for them? Do you have, does your heart pouring out with love for them? Or maybe it's the police in the police force. Maybe it's the three specific names, Bellevance, Campbell and Corey, the three police, that are, the names that are written on their signs that they're protesting to get fired. And maybe you don't like them either, but are you praying for them? Do you love them? Does this apply just to the enemies that personally have impacted your own life, or do, do these apply to your big enemies? Or really, your big annoyances. Maybe these enemies are the ones that have huge political differences among you. Maybe they're in this room with you. Are you praying for them? Do you love them? Paul gives this instruction in Romans 12.20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not 
be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why is Paul saying that? Do not be overcome by evil. Why isn't he saying, do not do evil to them? Because he's saying, if you were to approach your enemies with evil, you are actually the one being overcome by evil. Not them. The evil you hope for to your enemies isn't overcoming them, it's overcoming you. It just took your heart. That's why Paul's saying it that way. Do not be overcome by evil, but instead let good reign in your heart. Overcome evil with good. Imagine if Jesus treated us as his enemies, the way we want to treat our enemies. What would our existence be like? Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. Jesus would have poured down wrath from his Father in heaven amongst his people when he came to earth. What did Jesus do? Jesus do what did Jesus do? Instead, Romans 5.9 lays this out. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, the, 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 these commands are not about the commands. They're about the state of our hearts. They lay bare for us every broken part of our thoughts, of our actions, of our desires. They show us how broken we really are and how much we are in need of a Savior. We need Jesus I'm so thankful, and I was preparing this sermon, I was just like, I am so thankful that we have a Jesus that never broke his promises. We have a God that kept every one of them. I'm so thankful that he never retaliated. We have a a life lived for us, three years, Jesus, where he never retaliated on a single word that was sent to him, on a single evil that was done to him. He just loved. And then more than that, he went to the cross for our sins and died a ridiculous death that he didn't didn't have to take on. He didn't have to do, but he did for us because he knew we needed it. He knew we needed it. We're a people who have broken our promises. We're a people who have always wanted to retaliate and continue to do, and we're a people who hate our enemies. Nay, we hate the God we worship. And so, brothers and sisters, new king, if you don't know Jesus like this, if you don't know God like this, this God, I'm going to ask us to pray as we close. I'm going to ask God to renew our hearts to help us view people around us the way he 
does. Lord Jesus, thank you for just the amazing, amazing work that you've done for us and in us. We repent, we confess just of the broken promises, of the, the anger and the hate and the retaliation we so want against the people that have hurt us intentionally, the lack of forgiveness in our hearts for those people. I pray that you would come and show us how do you love, how did you love us when we were your enemies? How did you do it? Empower us to love our enemies the same way. Show us what does that look like? We have a hard time loving just the people that are annoying around us and the people that we disagree with politically and the people that we know are broken but they break their promises and they don't meet our expectations. We have such a hard time with them. You're asking us to love our enemies like this? Show us how to do this, Lord. We need you in this. And thank you, Father, for not dropping or lowering your bar, lowering your standard for us, but instead coming and fulfilling it in your Son, Jesus, for us. Thank you for being that example. And I pray you continued to walk with us. Lord, have grace with us, have mercy on us, and help us have mercy and grace with each other and with our enemies and with those around us in our life. We love you. We need you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.